This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. of a podcast of Rare Antiquities. My name is Jeff, and I'm your host. My name is Harry. I'm the co-host. And today we're going to be talking about the superhero comedy cult classic, Mystery Men. So let me ask you, man, uh, what do you remember about this flick? Oh, yeah. I mean, a good memory, I think. I'm not sure. Like, remember, we used to work in a movie theater together. I can't recall if I actually went to see this with a group of people working there for it was a staff screening after work but uh, yeah i remember that that screening a lot of fun generated a lot of laughs and it's all it's always been one of my more favorite movies in terms of with respect to a comedy or even part of the superhero genre yeah i feel the same way i I don't quite remember uh, the first watch when this uh, movie came out but I think it's aged my mind and my memory. Uh, treats this film very well. Uh, and again, uh, when I when I look at the overall genre, it's right up there. It's one of my favorites. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it is. It's very good. Uh, yeah. It's it's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think I will get into it. We'll see if it really if it's just you know nostalgic feelings or if it really does stand the test of time. But yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it. For sure. So I'll hit you with some, just a few facts for, for the film here. Uh, Mystery Men was released on August 6th, 1999. A couple other films released that weekend. The Iron Giant. Uh, another oh, uh, good movie. Yeah, really good movie. Another another cult classic. But more commonly known, The Thomas Crown Affair, the remake with Pierce Brosnan. The uh, sleeper hit of the summer was also released on that date, The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. a packed th- weekend. Yeah, it was a packed weekend. Mystery Man, unfortunately, was not the winner at the box office. Approximate budget for Mystery Men was $68 million. Its final domestic gross was only $29.7 million. Oh, really? Yeah, so it was a uh, box office bomb. Its international take was only another couple of million dollars. So international only generated another couple million. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So just over thirty million is the worldwide all-time gross for Mystery Men. That's an injustice. It, it is an injustice. It is a criminally underappreciated, underwatched film. That's for sure. And uh, you know, some movies manage to get more of a following on uh, you know home video, DVD, Blu-ray now. And and while Mystery Men has enjoyed a little bit of success critically since it left theaters. It's never really been embraced commercially, unfortunately. So, and as such, that's obviously why we never saw uh, these characters ever again on the big screen. So, yeah, I kind of felt felt at the end they kind of maybe left it open for a potential sequel, but I'll tell you why. W- what made me think that? But okay, well, we'll get yeah. to that for sure. So, uh, all right, well, let's let's get into this here, and I've got some other really interesting trivia that I'll uh, pepper into our conversation a little bit later. So, let's get into Mystery Men. Let's do it. Welcome to Champion City, a fever dream version of Tim Burton's fever dream version of Gotham City. So basically Joel Schumacher's version of Gotham City, uh, which rests under the watchful eye of dashing superhero slash corporate darling Captain Amazing. He has all but eliminated crime in the city, but his exploits have inspired a trio of wannabe superheroes to suit up and take down bad guys. So who are those mystery men? Mr. Furious, whose powers come via little temper tantrums. The Blue Raja, who sports a bad English accent and a silverware fetish. And the Shoveler, 
who shovels well. He shovels very well. After failing to foil a holdup at a retirement, the trio watch helplessly as Captain Amazing cleans up the goons and steals all the glory. Unfortunately for Amazing, his, la his latest exploits are causing his corporate sponsors to drop him faster than Tiger Woods, so he hatches a plan to release a great nemesis of old, Casanova Frankenstein, so that he may engage in an epic battle once again. Our heroes, meanwhile, can't even agree on how to split the dinner bill, and Mr. Furious is left on his own to track down some goons. He trails them to the mansion of evil overlord Casanova Frankenstein just as he detonates the insane asylum where he spent the last 20 years. Captain Amazing arrives, but is promptly captured. When Mr. Furious gathers his friends and returns to rescue the captain, they have the disco beat out of them by Casanova's thugs. It's going to take a lot more manpower to penetrate the mansion and liberate Captain Amazing. The trio tracks down two more superheroes, even more pathetic than they are, the Invisible Boy, who can only turn invisible when no one is watching, and the spleen, who, well, farts with lethal potency. The five run a recruitment drive where we meet dozens of sad wannabes whose powers range from a searing hot waffle iron to extreme ballet dancing to, well, you get the idea. The only legit contender is possibly the first character with a useful superpower, the bowler, who can hurl a supernatural bowling ball powered by the spirit and skull of her deceased father and former hero, Carmine the Bowler. The new team, on the way to attempt Rescue 2.0, encounters Casanova's sweet Corvette limo on the way and attacks. A successful battle ends with Casanova's car wrecked and his face farted on, and their group gets hammered at a bar to celebrate their first victory. <laughs> the party is cut short, however, as the Disco Boys line up a firing squad to put an end to the meddlers for good. Enter the Sphinx, a terribly mysterious crime fighter from down south, who cuts the goons' guns in half with his mind. The Sphinx shows the team what they have been missing, leadership. They train under his tutelage, but Mr. Furious wants nothing to do with the Sphinx's crappy conundrums and storms off. But after a pep talk from the coffee shop waitress, he storms back just in time for rescue attempt three. The team finally locates Captain Amazing, but there's a problem. Casanova has constructed a psychofraculator, which creates a cloud of radically fluctuating chaotrons, which focuses on a... Well, look, it's just going to super kill everyone in Champion City. The rescue does not go as planned, however, and after a mishap with some toggles... Captain Amazing is psychofraculated into smoldering ash. Now that the city's super premier superhero is dead, the team decides that it's time to run. But after a rousing speech from the Shoveler, everyone is off to say farewell to their loved ones before the final battle begins. The Shoveler gets a heart, the Blue Roger gets his courage, and Mr. Furious gets a brain. Oh, wait a second. But Mr. Furious goes to say goodbye to Monica the waitress, who advises him to just be Roy. Not good advice as Mr. Furious begins having an identity crisis. Who's Roy? Where's the guy who pretends to be Roy but isn't? Without his powers, Mr. Furious is a babbling mess. But it's too late to quit now, and the team loads up with firepower in their battle tank and storms Casanova's castle. A huge battle ensues, where each of our heroes has a chance to showcase his powers, including the Invisible Boy. Mr. Furious gets his rage on, and the team destroys the Psychofraculator and defeats Casanova Frankenstein. The end. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I, I was laughing through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Got lots of laughs, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just, you know, just from the synopsis, what do you take away from this one? Actually, this might be, well, maybe the game, but this might be the first movie where I'm actually just off the synopsis. I want to watch this movie because yeah. it's it sounds funny. It sounds exciting. And to me, it does something that is totally unexpected and rare. 
the Bane hero, even though he's an egotistical SOB, he gets killed. And yeah. you have all these wannabes who have to kind of pick up the slack. And I love that. That's refreshing. I agree. And I, I'm glad you brought, brought that up because I remember the first time I was watching this and, and my expectations of the film were that, you know, they'd rescue Captain Amazing and they'd all be kind of part of the team. And the fact that they botch the rescue, which ends in his death, that's that's a good twist to throw at the audience at, you know, it's essentially at the end of Act 2 there. So that now we're in uncharted territory at the end. Yeah. These guys haven't managed to anything right so far. No, no. And, and that's why the, the way you described the plot synopsis and just the general story as it is, it, it is unique and fun. So, yeah, I can't wait to get into this further. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's go to the top of Act 1 here. You know, we get our shots of Champion City from the sky. What, what do you take away from, from this? How's Champion City looked? Loved it. And this is the first thing I noted, noted down. It seemed... You, you you touched upon it. It seemed like a cross between, it had a little bit of Burton, a little bit of Schumacher, but it also had a little bit of Blade Runner. It, it kind of melded everything together. It was modern, futuristic, paid homage to what other superhero movies have done in the past, and it had a hint of campiness. So yeah. it balanced it all very, very well together, and, and I liked that. And I was also... Because of that, I was blown away by the production quality as well. Like this, to, this movie to me immediately didn't doesn't seem dated with bad special effects. Yeah, At least that's what I, I mean. There are only one or two shots that I didn't like, but but this opening shot I loved. I think that's interesting. That the little bit of Blade Runner never I never thought of that, but now that you mention it, there are sort of some of those little bits that I think are definitely influenced by that. Maybe that's what gives it you know that extra bit that kind of works. Because if you think back, we're only two years removed from. Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin here. Wow. So this is this is pretty soon afterwards, so obviously heavily influenced, but it, it doesn't look like a bag of crap. Yeah, well, maybe that explains its box office as well. Maybe people just said, you know what, fuck this shit. They had enough. Yeah. yeah, maybe it was too soon yeah. or, or not soon enough. Yeah. So anyway, so we head inside the nursing home where we meet Dr. Heller, played, uh, in my <laughs> opinion, perfectly by Tom Waits. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know where I've seen this guy before. Was he in... I think the only thing that came to my mind, and I didn't do any research, is this that kind of crazy guy who's in Dracula, who's kind of like the slave to Dracula, like he's in that prison, but that's like yeah. his master? Yeah, he, he is in Dracula. Tom Waits has some acting credits to his name. He's primarily known as a, mus as a musician. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, of course. But yeah, he has, he's, he's, a, he's been around in movies, so probably is where you recognize him from. I, I get a bit of a kick out of this scene here where he's flirting with the, the old lady. Oh, yeah. And he goes uh, even afterwards, I wrote this down, uh, I'm, I'm I'm here for the ladies. I'm here for the ladies. <laughs> it's so genuine. Like, it, and I love the look the shoveler gives him there too. It's like he gets he goes from being a pathetic old man to just being a creepy weirdo, and I, I love it. Oh yeah, that's and that's why they said, "Fuck this guy." Jobs. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, we'll come and visit all you people. <laughs> they kind of open with the three guys, and at first. It looks like, you know, they're going to be real crime fighters. And as, yes. soon as, as soon as the action starts, they, they get their asses handed to them. Yeah, by um, the bad guys known as the Red Eyes. No. Yeah, the Red Eyes. What did, yeah, you, what did you think of these bad guys? I did like their costume. I love those red goggles. And again, yeah. this is, again, harking back to what I just said earlier is the production quality. I, I just love the way those, those goggles looked. It's a nice little costume add-on. It's simple, yet effective. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they look good. Definitely a campy comic book style gang, which is what we're going for. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is heavily influenced off Adam West's Batman. Absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah. It's done really well. Not 
over the top campy. It's just perfect. No, it's just perfect. Yeah. And the uh, leader of the Red Eyes, we have an, a very early movie appearance from the comedian Artie Lang. Oh, that's who he is. Yeah. I saw, I think I've seen this guy before, but I don't know where. What, yeah, what? So oh, his yeah. uh, kind of an up and down career for for Artie Lang. Kind of got. Uh, I mean, I remembered him from the from Mad TV. He was uh, yes. one of the guys on there. But yes, that's where I know him from. He uh, he didn't last too long on that show. Artie Lang's kind of battled addiction and whatnot, but career's come back in more recent years. But this, uh, he's he said that uh, he wishes he never made this movie. He thinks it's terrible, and that just tells you the quality of his sense of humor. So. Oh, well, well yeah. yeah. If he's saying something like that, he doesn't get it. No, he doesn't get it. Not at no. all. No, there's all probably politics in play there, too. You never know. Well, but, that's, that's, that's quite possible. Yeah. yeah. But did you know? So one thing I, uh, I, I did write write down here is in this fight scene, the first kind of, almost the first few scenes you see Ben Stiller's Roy or Mister Furious in this particular fight scene, opening scene at the uh, retirement home. Did you see that he actually had kind of like makeup or eyeliner on his eyebrows to kind of arch it to make it look like he was more angry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I did like... notice that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he had it any other time in the movie. Just here, it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was I was like, like, they hadn't decided what what the look was yet. So, yeah. so our our heroes get completely destroyed here. Really, they're they're their own worst enemies. But they are saved by uh, Captain Amazing. Yeah, you know, just a quick flurry and love that entrance. entrance. <laughs> I love that entrance. So, tell me about what you think of Greg Kinnear in this. Oh. You know, I think, in my opinion, the acting is pretty pretty good, pretty even across the board, but I loved his Captain Amazing. And I'll get into it a little later, too, but he has that perfect vanity, a balance of vanity, ego, and heroism. But he plays it so perfectly. <laughs> and I love yeah. his costume. I love I love the sponsors all over it. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, like uh, it's missing just the FIFA <laughs> logo on it there. It totally is, yeah. <laughs> it, it really, really works. It works really well. You know, they do don't play up. What I liked about it is they don't play up the sponsorships too much. They, they talk about it just as if it's how it is, which it is in this universe. But it's a linchpin of the story, really. It's how we get. Uh, oh yes, it's how we get our start. So, yeah. How did you like his publicist? Yeah, I mean, I don't know the actor's name. I think I only saw him one other time, but I, I think he was in a Bond movie, but as a bad guy. But I loved it when they're, I'm assuming now we're going into his limo as they're driving away from the thing. But before we do that, I loved how. He did the press scene and he's like posing and he just pushes the old lady in the away and pushes yeah. the chair, pushes yeah. the little kid away while he's smiling for the press. Yeah. It was great. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And, I, and I love this scene in the limo with his publicist. And again, how he's talking about how the sponsors, this Pepsi sponsor pulled, pulled it and no longer wants to have him rep their uh, product. So he, cause he's just put everybody away. So now he's not interesting anymore. Yeah. So he's not worth any advertisement. So, but I, I love that throne of his, did you notice that he had an actual throne in his own limo? Oh, no, I did not notice that. He was sitting on a Captain Amazing built-in throne. It almost looked like a throne in the limo. It wasn't a regular oh. seat. It was it was a throne. <laughs> i got to go back and watch it again here. It was great. It was great. And and I love the publicist how he's, you know, it's, you know, because like Captain Amazing starts saying, oh, well, if I put everybody away, maybe let's go find these old villains. And he starts saying, yeah. let's get yeah. Deathman. And I love the publicist's immediate <laughs> deadpan delivery. Deathman is dead. Deathman is dead, yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it right away. No break. It was a great editing. Great delivery. Actually, a bit of trivia there. The publicist, Vic, is actually played by a very famous magician. 
and that's sort of the throwaway line there where he says, look, I'm a publicist, not a magician. So oh, that's, uh, okay. that's his claim to fame is he is a fairly famous uh, magician. So, uh, But I, I love this uh, exchange between the two. Very funny. Great delivery from both. So did you notice, as Greg Kinnear was saying, or Captain Amazing was saying, okay, we got to find some other villains. So Deathman was one. Were you able to remember any of the other ones? Because I think yeah. I, I wasn't able to write them all down. I got Father Doom. Yeah, Father and, Doom. Who, and, uh, Life without parole. <laughs> Life without parole. I and I couldn't write. I wasn't writing it fast enough. Did, did he say Orgasmo? Uh, no, it's Armagesmo. Oh, Armagesmo. <laughs> I think it would have been better if it was Orgasmo. It should have been Orgasmo. <laughs> I think there actually is an Orgasmo movie, so maybe there would have been copyright issues. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Baron right. Von Chaos, uh, Apocalypta. Apocalypta. And, uh, I think that, and then, of course, our our villain, Casanova yeah, Frank. Yeah, Casanova Frank, it's so, <laughs> I uh, love the creativity in these names. It's great. Me too. Yeah, oh. they're very they're very comic booky, but also raised up a little bit to be a little bit more oh man these these are adam west batman creations if they didn't take anything from the comic these would be the ones that you'd either find created for that type of show yeah or it'd be a parody from the simpsons when they're saying oh we need radioactive man to fight somebody that's right yeah right and i love that creativity yeah yeah, oh, that's great. <laughs> great, great detail, great attention to detail with things like that. They, you don't need to do that, but really helps sell the world. It's the world that we're in. Great world building. So yes, well, it sets the tone. Yeah, exactly. it's serious, but it still retains that element of campiness. But because these are really small details, it's that campiness, that campy level is not shoved into your face. Which will be a turnoff yeah. to quite a bit of people. Yeah. So that's why I like that. It's got the right balance of that. Yeah, I agree. And I think the performances as well help to sell it because, you know, Greg Kinnear's not hamming it up here. He's no. he's playing it straight. Yes. You know, that's the character. He's not winking at the camera or anything. It's played very straight. And I think that that helps sell it. What's interesting is, according to most of the cast members, there was a lot of arguing on the set between the stars. Wow. Because they couldn't seem to agree on the comedic tone to set for the film. You know, obviously some thought it should be campier, others thought more deadpan delivery was going to be more appropriate. So it led to a lot of strife behind the scenes. At one point, some of the actors actually tried to walk off uh, of the movie. So, oh, do you know which ones? Out of curiosity? I, be- I believe it was Ben Stiller, but... Really? He yeah. was going to... Oh, wow. Yeah, that that's, again, uh, unconfirmed reports. I couldn't find sort of any corroborating uh, evidence to suggest that, but more than one actor did say there was quite a bit of arguing on the set. And and that's because I think they struck the perfect tone. It's yeah. interesting to know that they couldn't seem to quite figure it out themselves. So Yeah, that's interesting. But, you know, maybe that conflict led to this balance that, that we see, and that's maybe a necessary step. Yeah, yeah that could be. Yeah, yeah, that could be sure. So we get to this, the sanitarium. The uh, Arkham, their version of Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Their version of Arkham Asylum. And again, it's not played campy. It's not like lit up, I believe, in neon yellow and pink. It's, I mean, there's lights, but it's just standard lights. And it's just a model shot of you zooming in on this massive prison or a crazy house. And it's perfect. Yeah, I I agree. It's the right look. It's the exact right feel. It definitely fits into the world that we've been presented so far. Unfortunately, we do get to witness, unfortunately, witness uh, Jeffrey Rush without a shirt on. That's beside the point, I guess. Yeah, he, <laughs> he need he need that guy needs to start doing some push-ups. <laughs> he needs to do some push-ups. It, that's like, it's saggy Frankenstein at this yeah, point. No kidding. Like, cause <laughs> guys obviously they don't have dumbbells in that insane <laughs> asylum there. No. Man. 
Yeah, yeah, he's a gangly-looking guy, that's for oh, sure. Yeah. Gangly is the right word. Yeah. Uh, how do you like this scene? Well, I don't really like it until Greg Kinnear's Lance Hunt shows up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Lance that's Hunt. <laughs> Lance Hunt with the Clark Kent bold-style glasses. And he just does such a great job. But, again, he plays it straight, and he's kind of, what I noticed here, he's not doing, say, what... Christopher Reeve did as Superman, where he's such a different personality between the superhero and the secret identity. Yeah. Here, I guess yeah. Lance is, I don't know what his job is here. Is he a lawyer? Is he a lawyer? Uh, I don't know that it's ever really made clear. It, it, it is mentioned that he is a billionaire. So oh, I so, assume yeah. he's more of a Bruce Wayne type, but without the dark broodiness. But obviously or, playing up Superman. I mean, obviously playing yeah. with Clark Kent here, right? So Yeah, with the glasses. Yeah. yeah. What I found amazing was that the whole point of this scene was that he almost played, because you saw Captain Amazing before and yeah. what his personality was like, and Lance has the exact same personality. Yeah. There's no difference. And they million dollars, they had to do this on purpose because they're poking fun at how ridiculous it is that people can't figure out that Clark Kent and Superman are, are the same person. Absolutely, that's the joke they're going for. That's the joke. And, and that is articulated in our next scene where the three are in the, the diner. What I thought was interesting, and this thread carries through the film a little bit, is you know, Mr. Furious is the most perceptive of any of them because he's the one who's like, he's the same guy. Yeah, and, then, but, and the other two are like, oh, come on, we're not going to go through that whole thing again, you know? Yeah, uh, but but the thing is, I think part of that reason that why he's so perceptive is that he really doesn't he doesn't have that faith that blind faith that the other the other two at that point it's only the other two right Blue Raja and Shoveler in this scene correct still that's with him that's correct yeah so Blue Raja and Shoveler that I mean they're two nice nice of a guys they're kind of have that innocence that naivety yeah they that, idolize like, them yeah, yeah they're like children that's right i love their interchange here mentioning with them talking about captain amazing's secret identity you know making fun of blue raja for you know no not blue. being able to throw a knife when <laughs> or, a or, in his costume <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that's pretty good right so yeah and then did did an iron or a shovel hit with mr furious because that looked like an eye like that makeup that he has on ben stiller's face that's that's no shovel mark that looks like Someone took a hot iron and, like, it, put it on his face and kept it there for, like, an hour. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Actually, that detail always kind of bugged me a little bit, too, because it's just not the right angle for where the shovel hit him in the face. But I, I, this is a fun little little interchange here. I think it's great. We, we definitely get a little more insight into their characters. Three regular Joes, you know, arguing over publicity and then you know how are they going to split the dinner bill. Yeah, so I thought that was uh, – I, I like this. I like this scene. I think it, yeah. I think it plays well. Yeah, it's introducing the conflict that they have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so as we kind of move on here, we get a little bit more insight into the uh, personal lives of, of the heroes. All right. Before to... you move on, though, all right. because when they get out, I wrote this down because I, I wrote it down for a specific reason. We're introduced okay. to those disco boys. I think it's what? Tommy C and Tommy P? Yeah, it yeah, I is. Believe so. Yeah, it. And it's like that reminded me the minute the minute that it said Tommy P and Tommy C, I, I just, and one's black, one's white. The first thing I thought of was like, this is Agent Johnson and Special Agent Johnson. No relation. <laughs> no relation. <laughs> yeah, Tony C and Tony P. I love these guys, man. Yeah. They look great. They're hilarious. Oh, I just love as soon as they get out of the car, they just strike a pose. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Disco with pose. The, with the disco like, in the background. Yeah, it doesn't even matter. I mean, that's just the movie. They just strike a pose. They're not listening to anything. There's. <laughs> I'm going to get out of the car, strike a disco pose. <laughs> Saturday Night Fever 24 7. 
Yeah, boom. I, I, interesting choice because uh, they could have gone with any generic bad guys here. It's not like they're. It's crucial to the storytelling that they're disco themed bad guys. They play it for a few jokes throughout the movie, but for some reason, it it works. Oh, it works. They're so funny. And that actually, the minute, uh, this is something that's clear to me from the first time I saw the movie in the theater, this generated the first big laugh. I mean, that disco music just popped up, just the stereotypes, right? Just the, those yeah. guys getting out, striking the pose, the whole theater just erupted. They were laughing. And, and I was going with it. It was just so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty funny. <laughs> and then I think, what, what does he say after they, I think Ben Stiller has a little confrontational talk with them. He says, he couldn't think of like a company back to what he said they said to him they insulted him and he goes oh you're lazy boy yeah and the recliner <laughs> so he thought that was a really good insult that he had there was i'm hanging with lazy boy and and uh uh and they leave and the recliner <laughs> that was hilarious man but i don't ever remember anybody else ever laughing at that so no no i that didn't generate a laugh it just goes to show that he can't think on his feet right exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. and that that's a joke that plays out over the entire film here so so we, as we move on, we again, we get to see a little bit into the personal lives uh, of the other two, the shoveler, wife and kids at home, you know, not not much going on there, just standard family life. The Blue Raja, uh, we see him at home and obviously the, uh, the English accent is put on. Yeah, he's a method superhero. Yeah, he has like, he, he he's like, Ed is in his house. He doesn't take a break. He, he is completely the Blue Raja 24-7. He's got the incense candles. He's got the Indian sitar music in the background. He is yeah. completely in the in the role, twenty four yeah. hours a day until his mom comes into his room. And yeah, then, and that then he's then the thirty year old basement geek living at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah. <laughs> so the Blue Raja, played by Hank Azaria, who's uh, most famously known for his voice work very extensively on The Simpsons for what the last forty eight years. Uh, <laughs> Wasn't it sixty eight? Yeah, playing every single character on that show, pretty much. But what I don't like about uh, Hank Azaria here is is the accent that he's putting on. And I get that he's on purpose doing a bad British accent. I don't think it quite hits where it's supposed to. This The accent I find a little bit annoying. I don't find it funny. I don't find it funny, but I, I don't know what else is he supposed to do. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, he's probably used up every single other <laughs> one of his voice talents or his capabilities voice, voicing The Simpsons. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's he's not going to break out into Mo. I was just going to say he could break out into Mo. <laughs> there you is know? actually uh, another piece of trivia. There is actually a character in this movie called Mo, the bartender. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll come to that. There are a couple Simpsons connections. Okay, uh, that's good. But, but I so didn't back, pick up on uh, that. Yeah, back to the movie. So we get back to Casanova's mansion. Mr. Furious is uh, following him along, tracing okay. the Disco Boys. Okay, so I, I want to just say, is this the other night, or we're still doing... It's the same night, so... It's after... the same night. Okay, yeah, so keep going. Yeah, and so you he, keep tra going. he tracks the Disco Boys back to Casanova's mansion. We'll exchange there between Tony P and Casanova, where Disco is not dead. Disco is life. Yes. <laughs> I liked... And this is where Casanova hatches his plan. Now, Casanova Frankenstein knows that Lance Hunt is Captain Amazing. So obviously he knows that this is a, a trap for him. So the new battle blows up. Sane Asylum and Captain Amazing arrives on the scene here. Uh, they have their little interchange. While this interchange I find fun, it plays Captain Amazing off as being a bit of a doofus. Yeah, and I think that's they're going to lead into that a little bit later. 
Yeah, we'll we'll get to more of that later, but I find that concept a little bit inconsistent. He has taken care of all of the crime in this city. He's defeated all of these supervillains. Clearly, Casanova Frankenstein's a smart guy, and he's been defeated before. So I, I found this. I just found this a little bit inconsistent with with this character. Is it? that he's just become so taken up in his corporate sponsorships that he can't think on his feet anymore? Has he always been kind of an idiot? What are we looking at? Well, it's like the story of Rocky Three at the beginning. <laughs> I don't hate Balboa, but I pity the food. <laughs> no? <laughs> well, I should have said, I don't hate Captain Amazing, but I pity the food. <laughs> well, I don't know. I so, guess I guess maybe that is the point. That, you know, you, get, you got overconfident and yeah. cocky and that was his downfall yeah and gets gets captured here so we're jumping to him getting captured yeah well this is where he yeah. gets captured is right here yeah all right yeah so what do you think of that scene i like the scene i mean where like i say where they have their inner conversation here where you know he keeps telling him to turn off all of his traps and he keeps turning you know his ultrasonic neuro stunner and the drink yeah. and the dart launches in his oh. slippers i i like this and, I thought and, was... and then we're just getting to more jeffrey rush undressing and it's just oh Starting to turn my stomach a little. Yeah, uh, his, his feet are probably just as gross as his upper body. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> I'm glad so. they. I, I'm glad he didn't get into his undies. That, that's all that matters. Yeah, that's definitely. Uh, that was in the director's cut, actually. <laughs> Had a device in his underwear there, so glad we didn't have to see that. Yeah. So, I mean, how'd you think of a Captain Amazing just falling for that little device? I mean, don't you think he would have seen that was a setup? Obviously. Oh, it even tells him, oh, that does something really peculiar. Yeah, and then Captain Amazing still holds it and presses the button. Yeah, so he is a doofus. Yeah, he is a doofus. And, and Casanova knows exactly how to suck him in. He's like, oh, no, no, it's actually quite cool. And he's like, oh, you know, shiny little device, poof, down. Yeah, so, the chloroform. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it was funny how he goes, I love. I didn't like the dang, but I liked it. Dang. Well, I, didn't, I didn't like that, but I liked it when he was on the ground and he was like, <laughs> I got a laugh out of that. Yeah, that's a good shot. I like yeah. that. So we meet Mr. Furious the next day in his, uh, his day job in the auto yard. Oh, did you... Did you get a load of that old lady? You're talking about nightmare fuel in UHF. I think I think we found that bums online dating match right here. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> definitely a match. Makes you long for those days of uh, shirtless Jeffrey Rush, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, I'll take that over this. So well played too by this lady. I thought it was. Yeah, fantastic. she did a good job acting. Yeah. I loved her laugh. <laughs> yeah, I loved her. Laugh. I love junket junket. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's like high pitch job of the hut lap. <laughs> <laughs> it was so mocking. It yeah. was just junk it, you miserable cuss. Uh, I thought Ben Stiller was actually going to blow a vein in his forehead when he was going at that stress ball in this scene here. Uh, he really put a lot of fury into that. He did. Uh, into that little guy. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good scene by him. A nice little scene here. It's fun. But of course, the foreshadowing for why he was even there is there the payoff is um, he's right. looking at a big kind of like armored old RV or something like that. I don't even know what it is. This is like yeah, an armored RV. And yeah, so instead of junking it, he didn't get around to it. And then we'll come back to it later. Yeah, exactly. It's a convenient placement <laughs> for sure. Again, as our previous conversations, setups for later payoffs. But then we get a peek into uh, Casanova master plan captain amazing strapped to a chair and there's this huge machine we're looking at him casanova's speaking with his lady sidekick and former psychiatrist and they make allusions to destroying the city the next night uh, yep. not much going on here nope. now we see kind of what a, a coward that captain amazing can be now that he's been captured but again not yep no it's just setting it up 
Yeah, it's just a set. The, uh, this is the first rescue attempt from the Shoveler, the Blue Raja, and uh, Mr. Furious. Yeah, don't get very far here. They get beat up, the Disco Boys. You know, it's a movie, so it's a leap of faith. But, you know, <laughs> these guys really should have been, like, shot and chopped up at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but they're... instead, oh, we'll come up with guns, but we'll just kind of now just, you know kick you very lightly a couple of times and then they cut away later but before we even cut away did you notice that ben stiller did a captain kirk role on the lawn as he I was did. doing a back and back and forth little uh, shuffle first of a couple of william shatner references i oh yeah caught later on yeah well that's one and then at the same time he even has the the captain kirk sideburns uh, did I you even notice it does, yeah yeah it's uh, kind of like angles down a little bit just barely yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. another little hint. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who is the Star Trek fan here, but well done. Yeah, very well done. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. then we uh, kind of skip ahead a little bit to uh, we're back at diner again where they're beaten up. Uh, they know they can't get inside without uh, some more manpower. So they start talking about recruitment. First here of the Sphinx, of course. I thought that was, you know, good joke there. What's his yeah. power? Well, he's mysterious. <laughs> they even mentioned, <laughs> And that's his power, yeah. No, but they even says I mean, they break. he can break away guns with just well, yeah, the, the thought of his that's mind. That's what the shoveler says, but it's like yeah. he's like, oh, he can, like, cut guns in half of his mind and they're like uh sure i heard that like he was just like he was making it up or something yeah so which is a good payoff for later because he can which is awesome but did you again did you now they start listing against them instead of other villains they start listing off some of these campy other superhero people that they've heard of through the grapevine like i think one was pincher another one was what professor pink pink belly Uh, yeah, so there's, yeah, they have, I did actually write them down here. You know, they talk about the Sphinx here. The other ones, actually, yeah, the other ones come later when, after they recruit the Invisible Boy. That doesn't matter. Well, they, they talk about it here in the diner scene. They, they say Pincher, Professor Pinkbelly, and, and there's a couple other ones that I, I couldn't write down fast enough. But it's okay. Yeah, okay. So anyway, so they, you know, we get a little bit of hint of Mr. Furious's interest in the uh, in the waitress whose name in the script is Monica. I don't know that they ever actually say her name in the movie. Played by Claire Forlani. Mm, yum, yum. Yeah, pretty lady in this in this movie. Unfortunately, she did not have too much of a career after this. Uh, you know, odd jobs here and there afterwards. The Invisible Boy. So they yes. go to visit this kid. <laughs> yes. I really like this guy. Uh, he was really funny. You know, yeah, he was pretty nervous. good. He, he was pretty yeah, good. Just a kid who loves superheroes. And he kind of turns them on to uh, the idea of where, we, where they can get into uh, recruiting some of these other superheroes. Yeah. And that's where some of the really funny names that I uh, I thought were pretty good. The Pincher, okay. the Pickler, Princess Headbutt. <laughs> uh, this one was funny. Uh, White Flight and the Black Menace, they work together. <laughs> yeah. I love that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Professor Pinkbelly. Yeah. Uh, this was my favorite. Uh, Lucky Pierre and the French Tickler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I want to see adventures with those guys. Oh, come on. I do too, man. Yeah, those <laughs> those are some mystery men right there. Yes. Uh, now, maybe this, uh, it's, well, I'll, I'll leave it for later. So they talk about, you know, recruiting, setting up a barbecue, and this is where we get our first introduction to the spleen. Yes. Played by Paul Rubens. Pee-wee Herman, yep. Pee-wee Herman himself. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the story he gives. It's like, it, it was a gypsy curse. <laughs> you know, whoever, you know, she made fun of like a gypsy or something like that, farting, and then forever, forever then, it would be yeah. him to have lethal <laughs> lethal farts. But it's like, yeah, all they needed was a leprechaun. Cure that right all up. All they needed was a leprechaun. Exactly. <laughs> I just, I just, I... Pretty uh, unique power that the spleen uh, has here. Uh, I, I actually really like the creativity. I mean, I don't often enjoy it when movies resort too easily 
mostly to dick and fart jokes, but played real well. Yeah. You know, the and laughs you, are good. And, and you the know what the funny? good because it actually works. It works. And you know what the funny thing is? Is he, out of everybody we've seen so far out of the superheroes, except for, I guess, maybe Captain Amazing. But I don't even really know if he has a superhero power. Had like a jetpack and that's just a jetpack. But the spleen is probably the most talented of them all. Yeah, and that's why it works. It's because yeah. his power actually is actually is a power. Yeah, yeah, it's actually a power. <laughs> but they don't want anything to do with him. No. They try to get out of there. No. So we get finally to the recruitment drive. Yes. <laughs> One of the, my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Yes, same here. Waffle so, Man, yeah. 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 <laughs> so do you do you recognize makes the brief cameo appearance here as the waffler no no but he looked familiar so this is a very young dane cook playing the waffler or waffle okay. man depending on which name you pull from the song uh, in a very early appearance you know before he was fairly famous i love the theme song fantastic oh yeah golden crispy bad guys are history <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you recall we used to ha- uh we modified this for a guy we used to work with i do recall <laughs> and yeah. Old acquaintance. <laughs> Dressed in white. What a fright. Well, we've got Pencilhead and Son of Pencilhead. Yep. Pretty lame, but again, we uh, we definitely get to see throngs of loser wannabe superheroes here. But actually, uh, you know I, what? Going back to Waffle Man or the Waffler, yeah. I mean, he actually has a waffle maker with him. He could actually use that and, like, really burn some bad guys. Bash a guy over the head with a hot waffle iron. But yeah, he's also man. got his truth syrup, so don't forget about that, which is low in fat. <laughs> it's long fat. Yeah, you can squirt some, get make guys trip. He seems yeah, to have more go. tools, more tools than the rest of the gang there. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Now maybe it's interesting to kind of put in here as we see all of these losers is the mystery men themselves. So the concept here is based on characters called the mystery men who appeared in a comic book series called Flaming Carrot Comics, created okay. by a guy named Bob Burden back in the eighties. Uh, and the mystery men were Again, supporting characters of just misfit superheroes with dubious powers. The Flaming Carrot himself was uh, the lead character in these comic books, uh, and he was deemed just too weird to appear in the movie, so he was replaced with Captain Amazing. In the comic, he appears as a guy wearing a giant carrot mask with a flame on top. The only characters who actually made the crossover to the film were Mr. Furious, the Shoveler, and the Spleen. Uh, All the other characters were created for the film. The Mystery Men in the comics were uh, known for their low success and high mortality rates. (laughs) (laughs) They did have one notable crossover with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Interesting. So there was a Mr. Furious fighting alongside the Ninja Turtles. Uh, That is correct. They probably should have gotten... I, even though I haven't seen it, they probably should have gotten Mr. Furious to star alongside the latest Ninja Turtle. That would have made that movie a lot better. That's oh, for sure. Well, don't tell me you watched it. Well, yeah, I watched it, but I'm not saying <laughs> oh, I didn't like it. But I watched have you it. no shame? Well, you know, like that being said, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie wasn't winning any Academy Awards itself. No. <laughs> so... As the uh, recruitment drive wraps up, have not found any potential new recruits. They're kind of bummed out. And that's when we get our introduction to Janine Garofalo's The Bowler uh, and her uh, supernatural bowling ball with her father's head placed inside. Mm-hmm. Probably the first person with the use. Uh, well, I guess the spleen has a useful power, uh, but this bowling ball will mess up some stuff. Oh, yeah. And I liked her. Uh, I actually like Janine Garofalo's performance here. Sort of understated. She has some good jokes and some good lines in this film. Uh, what did you think of her her character or performance? Not bad, not good. It was just kind of there. I mean, she she was necessary. One, to get a, a female 
in the group, mm-hmm. which, which was a wise move. I just didn't, and I, I like the power. I like the ball. I just got tired of her doing that, you know, back and forth with everybody. She's doing a back and forth, you know, jibes with, oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no, I did. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no, I did. And, and she did that yeah. like three or four times. In the- it fell, yeah, that joke and, fell And, and it yeah. just got tiring. And then I got kind of got tired of the character. Yeah. Well, fair enough. I mean, I enjoyed performance. I really got the impression that she doesn't want to be doing this. You know, she's she's doing it because she's got a score to settle with her father's killer. Yeah. So she joins the team. And then I thought it was a bit of a sharp transition to they're all in the car driving along. And I, I assume they're on the way to Casanova's mansion to go rescue Captain Amazing again, because they obviously know he's in there. I mean, they're just driving along and... They run into Casanova on the street. Yeah, in his boss ride. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> that's a one heck of a car. So oh, yeah. I'm assuming that's a custom job. So this is our, their first battle, uh, which uh, turns out to be quite successful. They they trash the car. <laughs> is successful? I love at the end how oh, uh, Casanova just gets out and he's just laughing. He's laughing. <laughs> he's just, <yeah. laughs> It just keeps laughing because it's it's humorous. All they could do was give give that car a couple of dents, break the window with the ball, and fart in their face. Essentially, yeah. that's all that, and that and that's, that's, that's the and that's the great part of it. That's what's funny because yeah. they're still showing these guys are way out of the. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but it was a good scene. I love that scene. And, and again, I'll point out the guy who kind of really saves everybody from these guys is the spleen because his his deadly fart incapacitates them long enough for them to do damage to the car yeah that's true yeah (laughs) so i found that amazing (laughs) or interesting (laughs) (laughs) amazing yes (laughs) nice 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 pun good job unintentional but thank you so as we follow them to the bar uh they're getting hammered and you know there's a little bit of uh interplay here some jokes Nothing's really hitting here, I don't think, too, too, too funny. But as they're leaving the bar, there is a very quick and subtle William Shatner reference. Do you recall or did you notice? I did not notice, so please enlighten me. So the bowler and the Blue Raja are arguing over the pr- correct pronunciation of the word sabotage. Oh. Everyone says, <laughs> I say sabotage. So, uh, oh, that's great. Oh, that's yeah. great. Oh, only diehard Trekkies will know what that means, but that's, that's right. great. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Yeah. So the disco boys are waiting for them as they come out of the bar. They're about to get blown away. And this is where we get the Sphinx, who uh, uses his power to cut the guns in half with his mind. Yep. Uh, I thought that was a funny joke because it wasn't, it felt like it wasn't going to be a real power. And it's totally a power. Get, uh, we, get the, we get the Sphinx. Yes. Bizarro uh, Yoda is here. Yeah, totally. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Bizarro Yoda. Yeah, I thought he was pretty funny. What do you What did you think of of the Sphinx? I liked him. I can't place the actor, even though I'm sure I've seen him many, many times. But I, I liked him, even though his sayings got a little worn out. But that was kind of the point. <laughs> but I, I just loved. I loved all of his, you know, all, all of his little lessons. It's great. Yeah, his, <laughs> yeah. his lessons were pretty great. So many great uh, quotes from him. Like you could. Yeah. I could quote, like, the whole movie could be quoted. If you're going to quote anything, it'd just be from this guy. Yeah, yeah. He's got some really good lines. Played by an uh, actor by the name of Wes Studi, or Studi. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. A uh, Native American actor. I like the performance here. Yeah, some, some great lines. And as we kind of cut a uh, training montage, which 
I was disappointed because I thought we could get a few more uh, jokes in here in the training montage. As it was, we saw them walking over, you know, some hot coals. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. And I agree. I think there could have been a little bit more, but I think in the end, all he really wanted to do is instill some confidence in them and make them gel as a team. Because, I mean, maybe the, I guess I'm assuming, and I can kind of tell, make an educated guess that the Sphinx himself is not really that talented with the exception of saying Yoda lines and breaking guns in half with his mind. I don't know if he knows anything else. And I guess teaching him how to make, you know, badass costumes, right? Uh, But it did lead to some, a couple of humorous, humorous things there. Because again, Roy or Mr. Furious is just getting fed up with the non-usefulness of this training as you are pointing out. But I loved when they were doing the costume training. It's like, I need a thimble. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then when it gets all heated, you just see the spleen. Paul, it's a great scene by Paul Rubens. And I love how the director just zooms in on him and zooms in on him and keeps him there. He just keeps pulling the the sewing thread over and over again because he's just sitting back saying, Oh, I'm comfortable. I'm just going to continue making my costume. Yeah. (laughs) That was a, that's a great shot. And you're right to to hold the camera as he's stitching his costume. There is a really good choice. And, And again, like, as you alluded to, uh, this is another example, I think, of Mr. Furious being a little bit more perceptive than we would give him credit for. Otherwise, he sees right through the Sphinx's sayings, all of the quotes, right? They're all very formulaic. They are all very formulaic, as he points out. Yeah. And he's kind of realizes it's not really uh, very useful at all. So, But then he does, uh, does yeah. isn't the Sphinx the one who tells him to go see Heller? They need the firepower. No. So what happens is he runs off, Mr. Furious runs off and they're all kind of saying you know like they don't what what are they supposed to do now right because they've lost mr furious so the sphinx says the loss of manpower can be replaced by the addition of firepower and that's when yeah uh, but then that gives him the idea yeah that about uh, dr heller yeah so it's the it's the shoveler who has has his card so they go to the crazy abandoned carnival which definitely a bizarre hideout here but very very comic book. Uh, it's a scientist. great, yeah, but it's a great practical set. And that's another thing yes. I just want to talk about this movie just for a sec, just a little segue, is the sets in this movie are top notch. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's loaded with CGI except for some some of the shots of the city a little bit, which only enhance or accentuate the model work that was done probably that yep. I could tell. But all of these sets from the diner to Casanova's place to the streets to the amusement park here, Heller's place, it's amazing. It's all practical, real locations. I mean, the sets are probably on a, on a lot, studio lot, but it, it just looks really good. The production quality, again, for me, is top notch. Oh, yeah, I completely agree with you there. I, I, uh, the look of this movie top to bottom is is just fantastic. It it fits the tone of the film. Like you say, everything's uh, practically done, so the actors really get to inhabit the space. I think that helps with their performances. It's zany and goofy, no, but it's not overdone. Like we've been talking about the whole time, it's just the right balance. Uh, so I, and I love the yeah, I love this set. I love the fact that it's practical as well. And even the characters, the bowler says, you know, like, what? why does he live in a deserted amusement park? And I'm like, well, because he's an eccentric genius. That's why, right? Yeah, I was expecting uh, to see the Joker cup pop out. Yeah, exactly. It's a very Joker-esque <laughs> type of hideout. So we uh, get reintroduced to, to Dr. Heller, who's uh, got a bunch of junk around, and he's doing some weird... I don't know. What is he doing here when they find him? He's standing on one leg. He's got, like, looks like a birdcage or something in one hand. It's really, really strange. I have no idea. Okay, so we we get our introduction in, into Dr. Heller's eccentric arsenal, uh, where he uh, lets them know that he doesn't make anything lethal. 
Yeah. So we see uh, some of these ridiculous uh, gadgets. My favorite was the blame thrower. That was uh, <laughs> my favorite. I, I like the can tornado, man. That, that's a yes. sweet weapon. <laughs> yeah, you, you figure that that one uh, that one's pretty effective, and I think they don't use it ever. No, and they, the I'm surprised they didn't bring it with them. Yeah, because that you know what? Well, that would have that would have cleaned out the entire Casanova's mansion there. I think that would have been just a movie over at that point. So yeah, probably a little too powerful. But uh, yeah, the blame thrower was pretty funny. The shrinker, you know, hey, it works. I just wish it worked a little better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess they had to keep their PG rating. So. Yeah. Yes. Although after Jeffrey Rush's naked torso, I don't know how this wasn't rated NC-17, but. <laughs> So, uh, so they they load up with the gear. They're off. Then we see uh, Mr. Furious. He's hanging out with the waitress, walking her home. And I actually, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit. The the female characters are pretty non-existent. Uh, they don't do much more than to sort of serve the male characters in the story. Casanova's psychiatrist sort of disappears. Doesn't really do too much. The waitress, she's she's just there to serve them lunch, and you know give a couple pep talks to Mr. Furious. I think it's kind of... And, and then eventually get kidnapped, but yeah, we'll get there. And, then, and exactly, and then get kidnapped, like like a good female lead needs to in a, in a superhero movie. So kind of disappointing. That's that's sort of the only uh, problems that I really have with, with the movie. Obviously, the bowler is a good character. She's portrayed fairly strongly, but she's kind of the throw-in at that point. Like They knew they needed a, a female character on the team and that was that was basically it so kind of a shame yeah i mean I, I i agree i mean the bowler is still from a superhero perspective a strong independent character yeah but the problem with that character is still she doesn't have that much to do and her power is just throwing the ball and the ball does everything else and then thirdly she's only doing it because her daddy wants her to right exactly so so yeah as we kind of so, like under it yeah it's she plays it strong. Uh, Janine Garfunnelo, or sorry, what, what, however you pronounce Garofalo, her, yeah. Garofalo. Yeah. She yeah. plays it strong and, and okay, but yeah, it, the basis of the character is not strong, yeah. and, and that's that's a problem. Yeah, it is a problem, and it's it, it's too bad. It's too bad that that's what's happening here. But to go on, Mister Furious rejoins the the group. Uh, we get we get Casano's mansion again, uh, and as the good guys are kind of breaking in, we see the grand feast with all of the. <laughs> <laughs> I love the this scene. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I love that scene. Okay, my favorite part, I'll tell you right now. The Frat Boys, was that Michael Bay? That is Michael Bay, <laughs> I believe, the Frat Boys. <laughs> oh, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. Oh, that's yeah. great. Great line. From, best thing Michael Bay has ever done is yeah, probably. Yeah, what do you say? Dude, can I bring more brewskis? And we bring the brewskis. Can yeah. we bring the brewskis? It's like, oh, Michael, please drink yourself to death. <laughs> yes, please do. He has just the right face to be like a douche frat boy too. Oh, I he? know he does. Yeah. Uh, he, oh, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad he he went with. It. Well, you know what? I can <laughs> I can at least respect him for being able to poke fun at himself. So we'll we'll call that a win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think the only other celebrity, or I think that I spotted out of all the other different groups, I think that was CeeLo Green. He was part yeah. of that rapping group. That is correct. That is CeeLo Green, and in fact, that is the whole group there. 
those guys. What do you mean? Like the he's so so CeeLo Green. And I can't remember the name of the group that he raps in. Oh, that's his group. At the time, those were the guys. Okay, I understand those what you mean. Guys. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so all of them were, were a, uh, an appearance here. I like the big tobacco. I like the name yes. of the, the you know the look of the suits. They don't really play too heavily into the climax of the film. No, uh, but uh, I I really like this scene. All of the uh, all the stereotypes. Uh, I, I thought it. I thought it played really Yeah. No, it was funny. It was a great scene. Uh, so then uh, we get to probably the most important scene to this point is the attempted rescue, Captain Amazing, uh, underneath the cycle fraculator, where they can't even get, get the rescue right, and they end up turning Captain Amazing into just a giant mess. Oh, they man. He, him dead he, he, he got fucked up. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Like oh, he got like, like coming out of his head. <laughs> Dude, that was oh, worse than, the, than, like, getting ex- yourself exposed to Mars's atmosphere in Total Recall. It's like, ah, I, 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 I. <laughs> like, oh, man, that, this is just, yeah, I don't know what it is, dimensional, like, warping, <laughs> but you're staying in one place. <laughs> it's, like you're, it's like that scene, it's that, that line from Star Trek, the motion picture with the transporter accident. It's like, what came back didn't survive, yeah, fortunately. <laughs> don't get psychofraculated. That's That's the moral of the story. I laugh at this scene where they try to flip the toggles. Yeah. I think it's pretty funny. Well, he deserved what he got, though. He was just he being, got, a, he he was being an ass. He was, tre- he's, he was treating them bad before. He's annoyed that he has to, you know, depend on them now. And instead of being grateful, he's just being a douchebag. So he, he got what he deserved. Yeah. Yeah, he absolutely got what he deserved. That's it. Sorry, you're yeah. fucked. Yeah. But and it was what, the right choice for the movie, too, because yeah. uh, as I said earlier, this is not expected like i would have expected him to have been rescued he's not now we are left with not knowing what we're going to be able to do here yeah so I, uh, I really and, love it. and it's refreshing i'm glad it's not just let's team up and be friends but then what happens here is because he's gone it ups the ante right the threat level goes up because now they really do have to save the city without him and the only other thing i made note of this is they got through to this place just through an unlocked basement window so I was like, oh, really? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, especially after like two previous attempts, they weren't able to to get in. So, yeah. So that's the one um, thing I did not like is they just got there through just an unlocked window. It was just, oh, really? A little bit more thought would have been better. Yeah, so, yeah they probably could have played something up. But we got to move the movie along. So back to Dr. Heller's lab. They decide they decide to run if it wasn't for the shoveler making his egg salad sandwich. So what would you think of that speech? <laughs> I kind of like the speech. I thought it was funny. I mean, William H. Macy, uh, he can he can deliver a lot of goofy stuff very well. He's he's kind of been anchoring the mo- a lot of the movie, I, I think, to this point. Yeah, I uh, think so, so I too. I, I wanted to bring him up. I, I didn't know when would be a good time. If not, I would have brought him up at the end. I like his calm demeanor, his polite demeanor as well through the whole, whole movie. It makes you want to root for this guy. And like he, to me, is the true leader of the group. It wasn't just the speech. It was like that before. Yeah, if, if, if not the leader, at least, you know, the rational core of the group. He's yeah. he's the guy who's keeping everybody on an even. Uh, yes. He does make decisions. I don't know that he's the true leader. I don't, I don't see him that way, but he's the he is, for lack of a better term, the brains of the operation. He's the guy who can make the rational choices where Mr. Furious is obviously the emotional leader of so we kind of move on from there everybody sort of says goodbye to their loved ones blue roger goes to his mom's house gets more silverware uh, they do a little bonding there uh, uh the shoveler goes home to say goodbye to his wife and then we're back to I, I love how she says you know i'm leaving you and he goes that's a chance i'm gonna have to take yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love that i just love i love that kind. that's a little bit of a campy scene with that kind of music playing in the background that 
triumphant music, heroic music in the background while they're having the conversation, but it works. And it works because William H. Macy pulls it off. Yeah, I totally agree. He he sells the scene even with the uh, the campiness of the music in the background. But even his, his wife just sitting there, you know, in bed, got like her hair curlers in, and she doesn't have a lot of, oh, okay, whatever, buddy. See ya. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. Just the deadpan delivery, the look on her face. She didn't care anymore. So I thought that worked really well. And then that uh, that also brings us to uh, Mr. Furious's interaction with the waitress again. This is uh, where he's saying, you know, he's he's you know, running off and he's probably not going to come back because he'll be dead. And you know, she makes him tell her his name. And he says he's Roy. And then when she says, well, then just be Roy. She really initiates an identity crisis here. And I thought that this was really interesting because superheroes are kind of built on the dual identity trope, right? Yes. We've got the superhero identity. We've got the uh, everyday guy, you know, whether it's mild-mannered reporter or billionaire playboy, a junkyard guy, construction worker. But Mr. Furious didn't really have any identity. He was just kind of pretending to be Mr. Furious. Right. And, and, I wanted and to he was that all the time. And that's right? true. Yeah. But that's because he has real no power anyways. And the reason why he wanted to be in this group is, you know, he's alone. Like he was kind of a loner and a loser, except for a couple of buds here. Probably who he founded as a wannabe superhero group to begin with. He may have had nobody in his past. And he puts on this facade and that's his mask to give him that confidence. But it's funny how it works in the reverse of Batman is that he actually needs to be Roy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I found yeah, that interesting. Right. I, I found that really interesting. He doesn't, but he doesn't know. And I liked his line. He can out, but he says, where's the guy who pretends to be Roy? Yes. You know, so he doesn't even know who that other guy was. He doesn't know who he is now. So I, I thought this was a, a really interesting thread that they started to weave here. I really liked it. They played for jokes on the way to rescue Captain Amazing when they're in the bus there, that there's some good lines in there where they're trying to make him angry. Well, I think even before that, I, I want it before, because now we're going on the way to Casanova's for the, for the climax. Before they leave, I guess, they all have that group hug and circle and they it's a brilliant cut down from the director and they and they do this like folding arm or hand thing and they go they say this chant word. It's like what? Shagazunt? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was that? <laughs> I loved it. It was so out there, just like out of the blue. It is way out of the blue. It didn't make any sense at all, but uh, it's actually, I did write it down here. So it's actually a, a Yiddish salute. It, it means something like be well or something like that. So it's kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of meaningless in that sense. <laughs> but I love so, that because it's bizarre yeah. and it means nothing. Yeah, it's, it's and bizarre. Like these, and, and, and these group of people really don't want to hurt anybody anyways. No, they just have they to go don't. save the city no matter you know but you know be well <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love that it's a great shot it's a great it's a great little thing they threw in there it is a it is a really great shot yeah i really like that sort of harkens back to some of those old team-up cartoons where they'd you know everybody puts their hand in the middle and everything so i thought it's a neat callback there so very funny for sure before we get back to them trying to you know psych up roy in the bus on the way to casanova's now, I think you get that first shot of all the costumes and they have that great, you know, like thunder yeah. and fog and they slow all come motion slow walk. motion. Yeah. They all come through. I love that scene. It's it's played for laughs, rightfully so. But I, I have a question for you. Whose costume do you like the best? Oh, that's a really good question. Hmm. I think I think I'm going to have to say, I mean, I like the detailing on Mr. Furious's coat. But as far as the overall costume, I kind of like the Invisible Boys costume just because it doesn't really make any damn good sense. <laughs> <laughs> At least None of them do. He was wearing like camouflage and it kind of fit, right? <laughs> 
And even the Blue Raja sort of had some bluish stuff worked into his new outfit, but yeah. No, I liked I liked the Sphinx how he like really stands out in that like bright neon blue, and then <laughs> and then the shoveler. You know, did you notice he's his top, his torso? It, it looked like a Romulan from the '60s, the '60s Star Trek. Oh uh, yeah, kind of. That, that, that material, that like that silver <laughs> material, was like yeah. thought that was another nod to Star Trek there. Yeah, yeah, it could have been, it could have been, but uh, yeah, I love that shot. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I love the costumes. Oh, it was yeah, great. It's great. It's a, it's a nice touch because, uh, again, it's sort of a callback to something earlier because, you know, we could see them making their costumes earlier, but it, uh, because something else was going on with the scene, we didn't really see anything going. So it's uh, nice that, that that pays off later now. So, uh, okay, well, if we get to the, the climax. So the, the Herkimer Battle Jitney, which is the finest <laughs> non-lethal military <laughs> vehicle ever constructed, blasts through uh, into the mansion, and and now the battle ends. I don't know how much you want to kind of get any uh, details of the final uh, the final battle here. I think there's a, a you know a couple fun moments. Like I said, everybody gets a chance to showcase their powers. Well, I love how when the the spleen does get shot in the ass and yeah. still manages to fire off a few farts to he lets, he save lets the day. Cannon after he gets. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and I love how the guys getting shot with the fart, how they reacted. Like, oh, yeah. They're like convulsing as they pass. Uh... It's so juvenile, but it works because they sell it. It is. They sell yeah, it. it. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Because you're the, the movie's well constructed so far up to this point that you're you're buying anything now, even if it's dumb. And then the, you get the invisible boy finally turning invisible, which was surprising. I was kind of partially hoping he just got vaporized. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hoping so too <laughs> that he didn't have a power after all, but he did. But uh, he and, got and bypassed the laser. Been, that would have been hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, if I was making the movie, that's what I would have done. I would, I would have said, oh, fuck. <laughs> but, I mean, like, I think he wouldn't have to do it to a, a younger boy. Then the guy should have been, like, older and, like, decrepit. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, some creepy old dude. Some creepy old invisible. dude. Yeah, he's invisible boy. I like the disco boys fight with, with the shoveler. Their disco foo was was funny. I love their moves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but did you notice that he actually gave... I mean, it's one slow fight, even though it's well choreographed and you can see everything. But, I mean, yeah. William H. Macy is not going to be starting doing, start doing Jet Li moves at this point. So it is a bit slower. But I, I did like some of his moves. They're creative. I um, thought so, too. He actually shovels a guy yeah. out. So I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's great. I love that he actually yeah. shoveled him out. Yeah, and then, But did you notice... He he gave the Shatner chop to the ears to the one oh, guy. Yeah, the move always works, man. Oh, yeah, man. It does. Guy's going down. <laughs> oh, you hit me in the ear. <laughs> <laughs> I liked uh, I liked the bowler's confrontation with Tony, I don't know, P or One, C one or of the two, two. yeah. Eh, I thought that was kind of played. That was the one scene I really didn't like. Oh, really? I liked uh, just where he got put right through that wall. Just his legs sticking out. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, like I say, we can, you know, this uh, some more uh, battling here. The shrink ray gun the and the Susies again. Huh. I didn't mind the scene, but it needed to go a little further. Yeah, well, that's kind of the thing is because it couldn't go any further because of, you know, how this movie is rated. Uh, it falls a little flat for me. I mean, I know the joke they're they're playing there, but I don't know. It didn't really work. Uh, as we, I wish, you know what I wish we could have seen is somebody murder Michael Bay. Yeah. The, you know, Just, I wish even Casanova murdered him. He murdered the rest of the group on the stairs. Yeah, exactly. He electrocuted them. I said, why didn't Michael Bay get electrocuted? <laughs> he needed to get electrocuted. 
then chopped in half, and then psychofraculated. That's what needed to happen to Michael Bay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it is too bad that we didn't get to see that. The battle here with Mr. Furious and Casanova Frankenstein, where he finally uh, finds his uh, true power in his in his fury. How did you how did you like the fisticuffs here? Uh, not the greatest. It kind of kind of fell a little flat for me. I, I did like how uh, Blue Raja was throwing the forks onto the wall so he could yeah. climb up because the stairs were protected. Fred that guarded with all the electricity, so he was able to climb up. And I like that. I mean, I, I, again. Everything with Jeffrey Rush, I find just revulsive. <laughs> Even though I like his, I like his acting, but then now I gotta look at his ugly finger with the long nail, and it's like ah. But I mean, they're playing it for laughs. I mean, you know, he Casanova really can't fight, but neither can Furious. So, and then Furious finally gets mad, and you know, gives him a couple punches, and then throws him into the fraculator itself, so he gets messed up like Captain Amazing did and dies. It was okay. It wasn't the greatest. Kind of. Wish there was a little bit more to it. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. Uh, I mean, I found it satisfying, but it did feel like it, it was missing something, even though obviously we're playing for laughs, but I think they could have played it up a, a little bit. You know, the destruction of uh, Psychofraculator. I, I, I liked I liked that with the with the ball. Yeah, yeah, that, like and, yeah and how Bowler says, you know, now's the time for separation, Daddy. I'm gonna yeah. go back to business school, <laughs> and and then he does the work. So I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. In our, our last scene, as you know, the mansion's destroyed, kind of emerge from the, the smoldering rubble. There's a new uh, crew on the scene, and Heller's watching back in his lab. I like that scene where he's sitting there eating his cereal, and he's like, hey, what's, what's going on here? That uh, psychofraculator go off, or what's happening? I, 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 just, I thought that was pretty funny. I liked his line. Yeah, he was more interested in the weapon at, yeah. at first. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, I like the, the shoveler's line here. We struck down evil with the mighty sword of teamwork and the hammer of not bickering. <laughs> yes. That was a good line. Yeah, that's a good line. So, so they're all kind of introducing themselves to the camera, and then you know they're trying to figure they're trying to figure out the the name of the team. That's pretty much that's pretty much the end. Uh, and then and then it ends, and then I, I see who directed it, Kinka yeah. Usher. Who? Kinka Usher. Yeah. So, do yeah. you have any information on this person? Okay, so I'm glad you asked. Actually, so there's actually. A really interesting urban legend that I read about in regards to the director, Kinka Usher. So this uh, legend has it that Mystery Men was actually directed by none other than Tim Burton using Kinka Usher as a pseudonym. Are you serious? That is, that's the legend that I came across. Now it... Uh, this felt very Burton-esque. So there are elements here uh, that are that are Burton-esque. I'd say some of the design choices resemble what you might see in a Tim Burton. But, you know, there isn't any, couldn't find any reason for why Tim Burton would have wanted his name removed from the film. You know, in, in days of old, if a director wasn't pleased with, you know, the, the film or his work on it, or, or in some cases, if a director felt that, or a, or a screenwriter felt that the studio meddled too much in the work and didn't feel it was representative in order to protect his reputation, put a different name on it. A common name used way back in the day was the name Alan Smith. You ever see that? name on a on a film that's uh, always a pseudonym for somebody else this legend seems to have started from a quote in tom waits's biography he talks a little bit about the movie in my research though it doesn't seem it seems to be a bit of a misquote can't find any corroborating evidence here i also think that it's not bizarre enough to be a tim burton film his surrealist style is not really present and you know if if you have tim burton directing in the late 90s we know about it. Yeah. The studio's playing that up. There would have been no way for him to hide the fact that he was the guy who, 
who made it. So, uh, so there's Kinka nothing. Usher, there's nothing on this guy Kinka Usher aside from this movie. Yeah, this is the only feature film he ever directed. He does show up in the special features on the on oh. the Blu-ray, and he he has a commentary track. On oh, it. it's okay. So, so it's not Burton. <laughs> I'm confused. It's probably yeah. No, it probably. So he shows is. up on the commentary track, and you don't know he's yeah. Burton. I, I, I'm confused here. Yeah, it's not you know it's not Tim Burton. No, Kinka Usher does the commentary. Okay, it, it's a kind of it's a fun little story. Again, I couldn't find any corroborating evidence, so I I think that it's just kind of a fun a fun little story. But Kinka Usher, by my research, was a TV commercial director. And because of all of the strife behind the scenes, he remarks, uh, and it was William H. Macy who reported this, that uh, he said as soon as this movie was done, he was going to go back to his commercial. Did not have a good time. Really? This. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. I actually enjoyed a lot of the shots in this movie. I thought he did more than adequate job. Not a, this isn't an Oscar winning movie. You know, there's nothing. I mean, there, but there are some shots I still like. There are creative shots here. Yeah. There's creative edits here. There's smart edits here. I agree. Yeah. If you think about the number of uh, cast members that you have to corral, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people in this movie. I mean, there is well, there's a really lot of, there's a, and there's a lot of ego. So that's there's a lot of ego. I mean, there's no true A-listers on here, except maybe for Ben Stiller, but he, this is still, well, he would have been pretty big back then, but, you know, I mean, Hank Azaria is not a huge star, and William H. Macy isn't a huge star. You know, Greg Kinnear has some uh, has some pull, for sure. And Jeffrey Rush is a big name, but not a big box office. But like you say, there's there's a lot of guys here. There's a lot of ego. So to have a guy who's able to corral all of these actors and strike the right tone with a very odd, right, strange script, strange concept. I tried to figure out how the heck this got, and I couldn't figure it out because it's so sort of off the wall. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a shame that he didn't give us anything else since. I mean, the film was a flop, too, so... You know, that, that doesn't happen. No, but again, that's my opinion. Studio needs to be a little smarter in knowing or estimating the best release schedule for a movie and what your competition is. You mentioned it was up against so many other big movies. I mean, yeah, in hindsight, you can say, oh, we didn't know Sixth Sense was going to be that big, but maybe find a different window. You know, when you get into the first weekend in August, typically speaking, the, the market's already, all of the big summer movies are, are done at that point. Like the big movies, the big explosions, the big action, the big sci-fi movies. Movies nowadays, the big uh, superhero movies, they're they're pretty much done at this point. And this is where some of the films that uh, the studio doesn't have a lot of confidence in. This is where those movies tend to get released in uh, in August. So it, it was never really set up for for success. Yeah. Uh, so so it's definitely a shame. It, it, it is. A, I can understand that it's a film that doesn't would struggle to find an audience. Ah, yeah. Which is too bad. I think it's for everybody. The movie to me works on a lot of different levels. This for me is probably one of the one of the best movies we've re reviewed so far. Even though it's early in the podcast life, it is a to me is it it is a rare antiquity because I think it works on so many levels and like we said before last week, it is underappreciated. It, it plays perfect homage to almost every superhero movie that's come before it. It plays on the campiness, the silliness, the seriousness of the genre, and it does it well without overplaying one particular aspect. It's a great balance. Uh, I think the acting across the board is very good. There's not one actor that really got on my nerves or did a bad job. I think the direction is very good. The production quality is very good. It's also littered with popular songs, so you one could say the soundtrack is, is also pretty good. At the end of the day, yeah, it's not the best superhero movie ever made. But it's definitely a cult classic, and I think if anyone likes the genre or even likes a good comedy, 
they should watch this movie. For me, it's a it's a definite recommend. It's a rare antiquity for sure. So what you're saying is you think it sucks and you hate it. Is that that's what I'm hearing? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. This is a recommendation as well. I think this is definitely fits under a rare antiquity. It's underappreciated, especially today. You know, you can kind of see it in a different light because we are so saturated with superhero movies now. You know, this was. Again, two years removed from Batman and Robin. Yeah, that didn't help. Off, No, but it's so it's good that that was after Batman and Robin because it's such an effective satire. Yeah, it pokes fun at it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're still a year away from Brian Singer's X-Men. We're still two years, three years away from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. I mean, the, the genre hadn't transitioned into what it what we know it is today. Uh, so I think it's interesting to kind of look back at it. So then I guess the question for you then is, would this speak to modern modern audiences today? Do you think that this would be a blockbuster hit to, if it was released today? And I, I mean, while it's not going to be doing Avengers numbers, I actually think it would do very well. And it works. It's fun. It's just fun. Yeah, I, it, it does work. And it, it is a lot of fun. And it works on, uh, there's a lot of layers here. There's a lot of things that work about it. And there's a lot of things you can kind of pick out of it that work. You know, it, it works as just a, just as a comedy, just on the surface, a goofy, silly movie. The jokes are funny, but the performances are good. Like you say, I think the direction here is good. Lots of really excellent editing choices, a good soundtrack. So I think that this movie has a lot to offer. Now, would it be successful today? That's a difficult question for me to answer. I would like to think so. I really would, because I think it's a shame that it isn't as appreciated as I think it should be. Just convert it into 3D and get some 3D ticket yeah. sales. Well, you put it in 3D. Imagine the, the the bowler the bowler's bowling ball in 3D coming right at you, man. Well, I great. guess be worth it for that conversion. I, I, but this the genre though is so different now. I mean, if you go back to you know, let's go back to the 90s and we've got Tim Burton's Batman and Joel Schumacher's Batman to follow it. That was a very stylized way of making a superhero movie, right? We had very specific style of set, backlots, weird lighting, over-the-top villains. And now we don't movies don't look like that. The superhero movies look a lot more grounded, locations shooting, more realistic characters and villains. So then this wouldn't be a parody of those, right? So that's why I'm not sure it would work today because what is it satirizing? It's satirizing movies that came out 20 yeah, and That's a good point. I still think those jokes are prevalent today. It may not be prevalent in blockbuster releases like all the, the big the big movies, but it's it's definitely still played in pop culture today, whether you're talking about TV, cartoons, comic books, those kinds of jokes and satire is still prevalent today. So I still think people yeah. would relate to that. I, I just I'd like to think so. I would like to think so. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, I I I think completely opposite the way most people do. So I'm sure it'll probably tank. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You definitely at that. So well, I think it's probably a good place to say our final thoughts, if any, on on Mystery Men. Uh, anything else you wanna you wanna add? No. Uh, go see this movie if you haven't. It's 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 a gem. It's great. It's yeah. funny. Uh, absolutely agree. This is a gem. Go see it. Highly recommended. This this is a rare antiquity that uh, needs to be uh, rescued from some cavern in South America somewhere, for sure. Yes. What are we doing next time, man? Do you want to tell us? Because we're doing something a little different this time. I'll let you describe it. All right. So we are going to take a break from our normal routine. We're going to do a special episode of Podcast of Rare Antiquities. We will be discussing the Superman movie franchise, starting with the Christopher Reeve classics. 
and comparing them to the two recent reboots, Superman Returns and Man of Steel. Yes, and we're bringing on a special guest too, correct? We will have a, a special guest with us on our next episode, my brother, who's also a great fan of films and fan of, of Superman, so that should lead to some good good discussion on that one. That one should be fun. No, oh, I'm looking forward to it. It should be a blast. Yeah, it'll be a blast. All right, well, thanks everybody for listening. That is Mystery Men, and uh, we'll see you next time. Sounds good. Cheers. Cheers.